and welcome to Don't Feed the Geeks, presented by the Long Island Comic Guys, the masters of the geeky verse. Well, welcome back, Geek Freaks. You're probably missing us an extra week. We are an episode behind here. Uh, I am TC, joined as always by JJ. What up, guys? How are you? And Toy Story. What's up? All right. Look Good at to that. Be back. Awesome. So we have a really cool episode for you guys today. We're going to be talking to uh, John Berglia and Neil Clyde about their book, Saver. It's, um, it's a trade paperback. It's a graphic novel for uh, being published by Dark Horse Comics. A uh, really cool book. We, uh, we just recently read it. Um, you know, we won't go into what it's about now, but it's like, it's like it's food. if you love food, if you love fighting, if you love comic books definitely check it out make sure you listen to the full interview because those guys you know speak about it better than we could so and they um, were great to have on yeah, yeah they're they're so fun to talk to. you know we've had john on the show before john's a good friend of ours we've known him before but uh neil was awesome um you know he, he had um a lot of awesome things to say really you know kind of insightful and he gave us like some things that we'd never heard about so you know make sure again to listen but uh, before we get into that, we're going to turn it over to Toy Story for the Geek Beat. Let's do it. Not too much to report over the holidays. we got a couple cool things. So for all you Dexter fans out there who are eagerly awaiting Season 9, as me and TCR, um, they just announced that Clancy Brown is going to play the villain in the show. It's and interesting. I, yeah. he's. I was thinking about this. He's, he's similar to Mark Hamill in that, you know, actor turned voice actor. He's in, I don't know if you guys know, he's in tons of cartoons for voice acting. Yeah, I do. So, he does so much stuff. And it all his, it's so diverse what he does. Yep. Like, I mean, everything Everything's different. to Star Wars, to this, to, yeah. I mean, it, he's gone. He was through, in that episode oh, of The Mandalorian, too, right? Yeah. Wasn't he in that prison scene? Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's gone through. He's a Kurgan. Yeah. So many spectrums of Mr. Krabs. Is he really Mr. Krabs? He is Mr. Krabs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> from, from for 20 years, he's Mr. Krabs, yes. Wow. Well, I guess he's got a constant gig. That's good. Yeah, good right. He was in the he was in the Clone Wars, I think, and Rebels and stuff like that. Um, I think he did a lot of like anime like um Justice League and Superman animated series. Was yeah. he was he Lex Luthor? He may have been actually. I think he might have been the voice of Lex yeah. Luthor. He's got that great voice. I know. He's yeah. great voice actor and great regular actor. Just, so I'm, a, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm excited to see this. I yeah. knew, I just found this out like a couple of days ago. He was 25 when he made the Highlander when he was the Kirk. And I didn't know he was that young. Really? I thought he was older than that. Yeah. Oh. I love that movie. Like oh. him and the, they're so good. He's one of the best movie villains ever, honestly. In my Th that was fantastic. I mean, he used to scare the crap out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> There's not too many villains when I was a kid that I used to be scared the crap out of. That was definitely one. <laughs> for, for that movie, yeah. I mean, he was a psycho yeah. in that movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he'll be the same in Dexter. I'm really excited to see that. Yeah, Dexter cool. was always like the season villains. You know, every villain had a every season had a different villain. Yeah. So, if he could come even close to uh, what's his name, Trinity, John Lithgow. John Lithgow. John Lithgow was so good. John Lithgow was the best one. Yeah. It was such Jim, are you game. watching the show? You know, I think I got through. I got through the first season. I may have gotten through half the second, and I just lost interest. Yeah. I think the. You have to power through some of them. If you get through four, four is amazing. Yeah, yeah I just after the, after the one with John Lithgow, you can actually stop watching it. Mm -hmm. Read yeah. the Wikipedia summary and then yeah. watch the new season. <laughs> yeah, so really excited for that. But moving on to some Lego news Whoa. for all you people like me who are out of room to keep buying stuff. Um, Lego is going to be doing an Ultimate Collector Series Death Star later this year. And it's going to be 11,000 pieces. 
which is <laughs> unbelievable. Can you imagine? I can't picture what this is going to look like. Oh my god! Like, what does it that eleven thousand pieces look like? It, it's got to be Death Star too, because it's got to have all those little jagged things. I, I would imagine, and it's going to be. I would imagine it's going to be big. I'm going to get it. I have nowhere to put it, as you guys can see, but I'm. I'll I hold mean, it. Look, I mean, behind you, behind you, you've got you know the Millennium Falcon. At one point, that was the largest set. Yeah, that's like seven thousand. We're going to be almost doubling that. Well, yeah, you know, a little less, but I mean, how big is this? Oh, I'm so excited! I know. But for eight hundred bucks, that was eight hundred bucks, and that's true. Like less pieces. Yeah, true, true. I mean, not that that was I, no, that was totally worth it. But it's still expensive. <laughs> <laughs> it's, still it's all worth it. It's well, all isn't it? Is it going to be as intricate? It's probably a lot of like the same pieces, though. Yeah. Right? So like, I don't know. Is there going to be like an inside build? Yeah. Who knows? Hopefully. Because the original one was the the original Death Stars were just um just the outside. Yeah, well the second Death Star, the original second Death Star Lego was just the outside. There you didn't see inside because it, it. I mean, it had a lot of those jagged edges, so you couldn't really do much with it. Um, I'm hoping this somewhat breaks apart, so you can get some innards like the second first Death Star, where you had you know the sections you can. Yeah, that one I remember. Yeah. Oh, it's exciting. I'm excited. Yeah. All right, moving on. A little bit of Michael Keaton news over the last couple of weeks. There's been yeah, a little bit of a uh, uh, weird lot of stuff back going and forth on. on this. So it's. Uh, Does anybody know what's gonna actually be, going on? He's definitely going to be in Flashpoint. Okay. Um, he's That's definitely gonna be the Keaton. I'm I'm hearing so many different things. I'm hearing that he could be like the Batman Beyond version of Michael Keaton. You know, and, and now I'm hearing like this t Timothy Shamalot getting thro thrown around for. Though. Terry McGinnis, but um, apparently he's not going to be like the Batman for like the whole DC universe. Um, some guy was like, "No, he's going to be the Batman for this," and then you know they haven't said anything else. It's I I don't I don't think there's reason to believe anything that you're going to hear about this right now. It's just so much hearsay. It's just a mess in DC. You can't really trust anything. Like I'm sure if. Michael Keaton's going to be great as in his role. That doesn't mean I believe they're going to make a great movie. So it's just I, I'm not going to believe in them until they give me a reason to. Honestly, I'm sorry. Fair it's enough. DC <laughs> universe. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but yeah, it's just there's, there's a lot of misinformation out there. So yeah, there's a lot of yeah. DC's the DC's a whole other conversation right now. But we're going to be talking about DC a little bit more right now because the future state titles have begun to drop. Correct. Yep. So Did there's a lot. Uh, I picked up a few of them. I got the Superman one. There's a Swamp Thing one. So there's a lot of like new appearances and like new versions of character. So, um, there's this new Wonder Woman, I believe her name's Yara Floor. Um, so she's kind of in two books. There's like a death metal book where she cameos, and then there's a full version of her in like this future state Wonder Woman. And they both came out today, uh, Wednesday um, of last week, the sixth. So. I don't know. And then there's the new Batman. There's the the Lucius, um, not Lucius Fox. What's it, Tim Fox or <laughs> Tim or Terry or yeah? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just I, I'm I haven't really been reading a lot of DC titles. Excuse me. So um, I don't think a lot of people have. I don't know. They haven't been able to deliver their books recently. Did you hear that whole debacle? Yeah, I know. I know a few people didn't get their books, but yeah. it's. I'm really sad for what's going on right now at DC. I mean, I hope this helps. I mean, this it's just, I don't know. I really don't know what to say. It's, um, I may get around to reading them, but I'm not overly excited. I just kind of picked them up to stash them in case uh -huh. they're, you know, 
worth money at one point. <laughs> That's really the only reason I bought them. Of course. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, just please, DC, get it together. That's what I know <laughs> saying. Um, but before we get into our interview, there is one thing I want to talk about. We are going to end this with the review of the Wonder Woman movie, Wonder Woman 84, and we won't we won't tease that until later on. But uh, I do want to talk about something really cool. So Cobra Kai Season 3 dropped on the 1st, and I, had, I found myself with plenty of time to watch the whole thing. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was pretty good. So it... I don't say I won't say it's as good as season two. I think season two was incredibly epic. I mean, season one was just so good, and season two followed it up really well. But this was better. so cool. It, it's not it's not better than season two, but it's really good. Like he, it's, it's a, they introduce a lot more. You get um, you know, this is a spoiler alert. So if you haven't watched it, you know, skip like five minutes ahead here. But um, you know, he goes back to Okinawa. He sees like the characters from those, like Chosen and Emiko. And um, there's even a surprise. This girl he saves during like the storm. She's like, he, she shows up at, in some capacity. And Chosen shows him like some more like karate that he never learned from like Mr. Miyagi, which was pretty cool. And then um, you get Allie Mills, um, Elizabeth Shue's character from the original one. She's in the final episode, and it, she. She really brings it together where she kind of makes Daniel and Johnny finally see that, you know, they, she's like, there's two perspectives. There's your perspective and then there's yours perspective. And then there's what really happened. So it was cool. So she kind of like made them face like, you know, what was really going on. And so this one was really like, you know, him trying to get, um, the kid who got hurt, Miguel kind of back on his feet and everything and like kind of revolt, revert roles reverse a little bit so you know crease like the guy who's the villain like really like steps it up um you get the weird part and you know jeff's big into this show too i was talking to him about it he goes there was a lot of really weird flashbacks and from like vietnam of crease and it like really shows like how his character got to where he is they were they were a little odd but there's a there's also this character terry silva who is from the third karate kid movie so you see like a younger version of him in these flashbacks and he calls somebody at the end and you kind of think it's going to be Terry Silver. So the cool thing is the best part about it is basically, you know, the people who are loyal to Johnny, you know, stick with Johnny. And then, you know, Kreese has his like loyal Cobra Kai, like evil kids. And then, you know, um, Ralph Macchio's character, Daniel LaRusso, he's training again kids so daniel and johnny kind of team up there like dojos so they're going to try and take on crease but it looks like crease might be you know teaming up with um terry silva so it should be an epic um you know confrontation for season four but so are they i guess they're bringing everybody in from the movies what it about seems the that way it seems what about way. the one wasn't there a girl karate kid so I heard there might even be yeah that was, was she, she's actually was a huge actress she's um yeah I'm trying to remember her name I can't remember what her name is right now either but um is she young no Swanson something oh yeah um was it Swanson no it's not Swanson though it's um I thought of Ron Swanson when you said yeah that. I know <laughs> I, I shouldn't have said Swanson but it sounds like that Christy Swayson no that's somebody else. <laughs> Ah uh, gosh, it's the, the the movie was the next Karate Kid. Uh, I've got it right here. It's Hillary, Hillary Swank. Swank. Yeah. Hillary oh, Swank. Swank. Yeah, that's so, funny. Swanson. I mean, is she coming back? 
I don't know. Anything's possible. I mean, this show is it's it's a huge show. It's taking on number one again at Netflix. Dude, smart as hell for them too to move from YouTube Red or whatever that was to Netflix. Well, I don't think it. Was, I think YouTube was the only one who was interested at the time. I yeah, think and Netflix, then it blew up, right? Yeah, Netflix like wasn't interested, and like the first season, I was like, this is not just good. This is a me. Like it was like they took something which was like ah, I don't know. And I don't know how other people shot this down. I guess it was like, like, oh, like nobody cares about Johnny Lawrence because it's basically about the kid, the you know, the bad kid from the first one, and they just made it like from his perspective, and it's just really well done. Anyone who hasn't watched it, I highly recommend. I have to. I've been on the list for so long. I mean, like this season, I'd probably give like an eight zero. What about the last two, just for comparison? Um, So it's hard for me to say season one i don't remember it well enough it's at least a nine i would say season two maybe like a nine two do you know what's what's gonna hit this out of the park when you get jackie chan and uh uh, jaden smith in this movie in the show well well, i think you're in there i think that the executive producer one of the executive producers is actually will smith so anything's possible there you go watch (laughs) yeah so We'll see. All right, but that's it. That's all I had. Um, go watch Cobra Kai if you haven't seen it. If you haven't seen any of them, watch all three together. Yeah, I might. <laughs> I'll catch up. All right. So, uh, but next we have our interview with John Brogley and Neil Clyde talking about Saver. Nice. All right, guys. Well, we have two very special guests with us today. We have John Broglia, a former guest of ours, and Neil Clyde joining us to talk about their new book, Saver. Guys, welcome to Don't Feed the Geeks. How's it going? What's going on? Thanks for having us. Hey, guys. Nice. How's everybody doing? Good. We're all right. We're all right. We're, we're excited to talk about this book. We were lucky enough. I think we all read it probably yesterday. Yes, we did. Um, <laughs> so just so you guys know, this is going to be dropped on Monday. So it'll be a, a few more people will have the opportunity to uh, to read it. So we are going to talk about it. There will be a couple spoilers, but we won't spoil the whole thing for anyone. Um, but we will be talking about the book. Um, since we've already had John on and we don't care about his background story, uh, Neil, what we kind of like to do for the, f- the first time someone's on our show is we kind of like to get their geek origin story. So before we get into talking about Saver, you know, like what's your, you know, Peter Parker, uh, Bruce Banner, uh, Clark Kent origin story? <laughs> so I was bit by a radioactive Jew. <laughs> no, okay. that's great. By the way, I'm Jewish, so why? Okay. Um, uh, no, man. So I've you know I've been a geek all my life. I've been uh, reading comics since I was nine. My dad used to come home every Friday with a bag of random crap he got off a rack somewhere, uh, just to kind of basically say, "Read this. Leave leave me alone." Uh, <laughs> and my brother and I, you know, we collected. We rode bikes to the local store. I was drawing comics or trying to draw comics since I was a kid. You know, I went into Marvel when I was 12, so it was a packet of badly drawn pinups. Um, and I really, I started off trying, wanting to be an artist, actually. So I, I like, I can draw, but I'm not, I'm nowhere near like John's caliber. Um, and when I moved to New York in 99, I, uh, I had a friend who was an editor over at DC. And I walked up to him with, I walked into the office and he showed me around and I basically showed him all my samples and he looked at him and said, you are not a good artist. 
Um, <laughs> you, said, well, you need anatomy work, and you need, there's a lot that you need to kind of learn. And I, I was, I'm honestly self-taught. I taught myself by taking old Ninja Turtle comics and trying to draw them. Like, them, the comics here, me drawing here. And my samples weren't great, but he said, your storytelling is top-notch, so maybe you should be a writer. So I really kind of did a hard pivot and started to learn how to write comics. Um, I studied scripts, studied, you know, the masterworks, you know, Alan Moore, all the way to Spiegelman, to Will Eisner, just trying to figure out how everybody writes comics, you know, for different genres, for different styles of comics, superhero, indies, war, romance, everything. Um, and just started pitching, basically. And I, I started off with mini comics. I, I, what I tell people is my road through comics was the long, hard path. Um, I started in minis. And I went to web comics. After that, I, you know, tried to pitch some one shots and miniseries. And I went from indies to selling my first superhero comic in 2006. I did a, a an X Men Unlimited comic with Mike Oming, uh, who introduced John and I, by the way. Um, and from there, it's just been, you know, one pro, one hard road after the other, just trying to stay in the game. Um, big Will Eisner fan. Um, still love superhero comics. I Grew up reading every Green Lantern comic I could get my hands on. Love Star Wars. Have written for StarWars.com. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I've got some articles up there. Um, cool. Yeah, I mean, my kids are, are born geeks. I mean, I'm sitting here, honestly, with... <laughs> and uh, the Darksaber and just kind of like everything. So That's funny. We are a geek family. Uh, you know, we, we love comics. We love comic movies. We love graphic novels, everything, video games. So that's me. That's the way to do it. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I did a little research on you last night, and um, I ordered it last night. Uh, Not in a creepy it. way. No, no. One of your books, Brown, uh, Brownsville, looks really cool. Thanks, yeah. Um, I'm excited about that. I actually ordered it from Amazon last night, so I'm hoping to get that. But I'm look looking forward to reading that book. Cool, thanks. I hope you like it. Yeah, Brownsville was one of my first uh did a lot of research. It's for those who don't know, it's the story of Murder Incorporated, uh, the Jewish mob in the 1930s. I'm besides being a comics geek, I'm actually a really big mob geek. Uh, I've seen every mob movie ever made, read a bunch of books, really have just read history cover to cover. Um, but strangely, um, I, I didn't know much about the Jewish mafia. I, I you know, came in through obviously like The Godfather, Goodfellas. That's kind of what got me excited about it. And my dad kept pushing me to watch, um, I don't know if you guys have seen it, Once Upon a Time in America, mm-hmm. um, the old Sergio Leone movie. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's four hours. It's <laughs> fog. It's fog. amazing. But it's yeah. amazing. You know, De Niro, James Woods, and, and the music is fantastic. Um, and that kind of got me interested to learn a little bit more about, like, organized crime from my heritage, which I didn't know too much other than some, like, random names, right? Like, Buckman Siegel and uh, Meyer Lansky. And having moved to New York, like there's there's a lot of history here, right? There's a lot of history in Brooklyn and, and, and in Queens and even in Manhattan itself. So that really kind of got me inspired to start reading a lot about it. And uh, I found this great sort of dichotomy between these two low-level gunmen who came into the mob at the same time and really, um, not to spoil the story, but I mean, it's part of the pitch, it's part of the solicitation. Um, it basically came in at the same time from different routes. One was like really well off and one came in from the streets 
they rose in the ranks and then ended up really writing everybody out. So it's a fantastic story. Um, I'm not, I mean, the book is whatever, you know, whatever. I, I can't really be biased about the book, but <laughs> the story itself that the book is based on is really fascinating. And Jake Allen, who, who drew it, was uh, was also fantastic to work with. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I may have to check that out too. It does sound very interesting. Yeah. I love that stuff. I feel like it's almost impossible to be like a comic book fan and not like a history fan at the same yeah. time. Yeah. I just feel like they're so like closely tied together, like all that, you know, history of like, you I mean, you really read comic books, especially if you get into the old ones. I mean, like you're reading history as it's being told because, you know, you're learning about like stuff like that happened in like the 30s, 40s, you know, 60s that's happening like in real life in those comic books, but it's like history. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, look, for a, for a guy like me, and I don't, I don't want to speak for John or, or anyone else, but like when you read something that has roots and something that happened, right? Something yeah. that uh, connects and, 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 and is real, right? Those stories are obviously, they resonate, you know? Yeah. So, you know, you, you read even like some of the superhero comics and you think about superhero comics, and I know there's a, like a large debate, you know, keep politics out of comics. Politics have always been in comics. Yeah. Like, Ever since Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, you know, started off at Marvel in the '60s, there's always been politics. Even before that, with Captain America, right? So, yeah. there's always something when a story resonates and really makes you think and makes you believe and makes you uh, inspires you. It usually has some relevance to something that's going on, whether it's current events, whether it's historical events. To me, that that makes a fantastic story. It drives emotion. It, it makes you think. It makes you feel right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Well, yeah, well said. <laughs> um, all right, so let's actually talk about this book then. So obviously this really happened and you guys have some resonance with this story saver. So 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 how did you guys fall upon this island and you know get into this, you know, cook fighting scene? <laughs> Just to clarify, it's not really happened. <laughs> it's a <original> story. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, John, I feel like I've been talking, so maybe you wanna kick us off. Um, I, well, this is this question's geared more towards Neil anyway, but um, but I'll speak for Neil. I'm gonna be Neil. Now. <laughs> um, not Neil. Neil. Neil developed this story. Neil. Neil has uh, one of his other passions. He didn't mention just now is uh, is food and cooking. He the, he loves to. He's a. Pretty, you call yourself an amateur chef? I don't think so. I don't think. So. I mean, I no, yeah. I'm a professional eater and an amateur chef. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Neil has a, a passion for for cooking and obviously making comics and he loves both and he just mushed them together into such a great recipe for this book. Um, you know, I, I not much of a cook. I love to eat. So when I read the script, I was extremely hungry. And, you know, I was like, this is great. So I get to draw and I'm starving. I was like, and I get to, you know, I'm definitely going to try some of these recipes out. Oh, no, you have to. You have to. Oh, oh, just, well, again, remember, I'm, I'm a writer. <laughs> um, no, look, I mean, you know, the book's got a ton of different influences. You know, I, I've been not been very shy about saying that I've been, you know, I've been writing dramatic books for a long time. Brownsville being one of them. I wrote a book called The Big Con, which was a dramatic book. Everything's been kind of from the point of view. I, legacy is kind of a, a running theme in a lot of the books that I write. But I've always written it from honestly the point of view of like a son, um, talking thinking about like legacy from son to father, right? So if you look at Brown, when you read Brownsville, you'll see that there's a there's a big undercurrent of fathers and sons there. Um, Big Con is the same way. 
Um, even some of the other superhero stuff that I've written, their legacy is very important to me, right? One of the very first things I actually wrote was a really shitty five-page Green Lantern Flash story, um, like a pro story that was just about like the various legacies of the hero. Um, but now, I mean, I, I wrote that when I was young and single and full of, full of shit and vinegar and now I'm not. Now I'm older and I have a family and I have kids of my own and legacy means something different to me, right? So um, the books that I've written uh, and, the, and the books that I'm pitching lately over the last couple of years have really shifted from being that sort of like introspective, who am I? Who am I in relation to everything else? And more about like, who am I as a father? And who, what is it like being a father, right? Um, and Saber specifically was written for my daughter, um, who is of anyone, everyone in the family, the most excited about reading graphic novels. She really took to them um, and has like a nice little collection. She reads like Randy Tuggemeyer and, and you know, all, all those, the, the babysitters clubs, all, all that, all that kind of vein. And she is always hungry for more of it. She always wants more of it. And I've never really written an adventure story that she could read. Everything that I've written has either been like mired in superhero continuity or has been like adult drama that, you know, my parents were embarrassed to read because <laughs> not a person. Um, and I really wanted to write something that she could read. So that's yeah, that's kind of where that came from. And I knew John. Uh, yeah, that was, um, that was my appeal for jumping on this book. I remember Neil, Neil had sent me um, just a quick snippet of a few different um, stories he had in development. And he was like, choose one because we really wanted to work together. And um, immediately, Saver jumped off the screen to me. And the biggest appeal was getting, like he just said, to do something that my daughters can read. Um, everything I've done prior to this, same as he just said, uh, it's not content that's uh, <laughs> okay for them to read now at eight, yeah, five years old. Um, yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. Right. yeah, zombie drama wasn't gonna. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Complex and you know all these these you know different um, these different genres I, I've been playing in have been more crime and more violent and this was something and it's also been um, male character driven um, and I've. I've wanted to do something with a, a woman lead, with a young a young woman lead, and he he supplied it, and you know I, I jumped all over it because you know I want something that my a character that my daughters can look up to, um, and that they could be proud of their dad for being a part of, and you know we got to do this. And what was great about it also is that, is that you know we talk about geek, uh, you know geek origin story, like a lot of our or at least mine and some of John's, because I know in a lot of the fashion and a lot about the world building, a lot of our influences are really poured into the story, right? So it's not just about my daughter. It's not just that, hey, you know, that guy loves food. Let's write up an adventure story about it. It's- That's not how I said it. What? That's not how, that's not how I said it, Neil. I didn't I say know. it like that. <laughs> uh, no, 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 I'm, I'm saying that, like, that even beyond that, there are things that I, you know, have been reading or been exposed to over the last couple of years that I've just like, oh, I really want to write a video game style story, right? Like something that's like inspired by like that, like beat the boss level video game. And like, yeah, like Legend of Zelda, that's, you know, one of my go-tos. And that is definitely in the book. Um, Moana, right before I wrote it, honestly, like I had been blown away by Moana. Yeah. Like we love the movie here at the house. And 
Same here, same here. Yeah, and, and I didn't want to really like rip off what you know they did, but I but I loved just the island setting and just the, the lifestyle and and um, you know one of the things that we don't really talk about is that we went out and and, and, and spoke to this guy Carl Shinyama who who was our uh, culture consultant on the book and he really helped me as I wrote the story just kind of like look over everything I did and make sure that um, it really feels authentic, um, wow. not just the language, not just the culture, but also the food and a lot of the mythology, right? Um, yeah. And actually, one of the, you know one of the interesting things is that the is that you know some of that changed, right? Because we actually started with with uh, you know saying like, hey, let's set this on a real island, let's set this on like maybe Hawaii or or, or what have you. And as you know, as I kind of started to think about it, I realized I wanted to give John and myself the room to really build something of our own and build something that really feels like, you know, you said it earlier, a mashup or a hybrid or like a recipe or a stew of, you know, various influences from the two of us um, kind of simmering in this great book. Wow. And that's what I loved about this. Cause you know, you, when you're reading the book, you, you know, you get the feel that you're on an Island, you know, there's no cars, there's no technology, even the, even the boats, the ships, they're you know, the old Japanese style, you know, type of ships where, you know, you feel like you're in the book and it's, it's, totally. and that's what I love about this and being a, a woman, you know, hero or girl hero. It was, it was great. I don't have daughters. I got two little boys and, you know, I, one day I hope they read this, you know, when they're old enough to, to, to read a book like this. So you guys will appreciate this. Actually the, the whole, so you, people have been asking us lately about like the whole technology thing, what have you, but nobody's talked to us about the fact that there are no cars on the Island and that to be perfectly fucking honest with you is based off fire island like yeah, I, I was gonna say that that's actually what i thought of that's actually yeah, when I was a kid, you know not a kid when i was after college when i was younger uh you know pre-children um i used to go to fire island a lot like to the beach and just kind of hang out and rent the house and what have you and i love the fact that it felt like you couldn't tell that new york was like half an hour away right yeah. Yeah. you're basically in this remote locale where it feels like yeah you know, you could be halfway around the world. Um, yeah. And to me, that felt really kind of calming and really kind of um, austere. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to give that sense to the island as well, to Earth's Oven, the island that John and I created, where you really, there are no cars, there's one airport, um, which we haven't even put on a map. You know, it's, the airport's not on the map, which I kind of love. Um, <laughs> and there's one road that goes around. Like- yeah, one road, then you basically have to get everywhere by boat or foot and there's no cell service. So that to me kind of feels like Mecca, right? It feels kind of like you know, a place that I want to go and just kind of like shut down and eat. Yeah, yeah. escape. Hell <laughs> yeah. yeah. Give me the food. That great island feel and it had, and I love how like there was like mashups, like all the restaurants weren't just like, you know, yeah. one kind of thing. It had like this, like, you know, flares, um, right to them. Yeah. Like this mashup of all this different type of food was a fusion. Is like every restaurant was like a fusion. Yeah. It was restaurant. so cool to me. <laughs> yeah. and, you, and you put it, you put, you dictated like what that restaurant did, you know, yeah. in a little blurb on the yeah, page. Yeah, little blurbs for each place were awesome. Yeah. And that very, was ingenious. very ingenious. I, I yeah, love yeah. those type of small details. You know, it's funny because like, like I, I love to, go out to eat. Well, you know, I did love to go out to eat. Um, but I, I love exploring different restaurants. And, try, and, and I, I've noticed over the last couple of years, especially in, in New York and, and a lot of uh, large urban centers, there is that kind of gearing towards like, well, we're going to take like Japanese and then we're going to take, you know, matzo balls and we're going to put them together and like, let's see what that looks like. 
Um, and you, you see it a lot in, in kosher cuisine as well. Kosher cuisine is very much like trying to take what non-kosher cuisine does and really give kosher spin to it, right? Yeah. And there's, you know, matchup isn't the right word. Fusion is probably the best word for it. Um, but there's a lot of that that happens. And whether whether chefs out there love it or hate it, and I know there are some that are very much about the purity of like French cuisine or the purity of, you know, uh, of island cuisine or what have you, it's happening, right? There's a lot of this like, hey, let's see what barbecue looks like in, you know, Montana or, well, that's not true, Montana. Barbecue. <laughs> um, let's see what like barbecue looks like in Israel, right? So like, there's a lot of that happening globally. And yeah. I really felt like this place is the place where you go to explore like the limits of what you can do with food. Have you guys ever read Hicksville? Uh, the graphic novel Hicksville by Dylan Harks. No. So if you get a chance, I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite graphic novels. It's set in New Zealand, and it's about uh, a place where basically um, legendary, well, where there's a library there, and it's a place where cartoonists go to do their epic masterwork that never gets published. Like one, one, one or a few copies in this libra library. It's never been published, but it's there. So like. Like, Wally Wood did books that are there, and Picasso did a comic, and like, there's more to the graphic novel. It's about a lot more than that. But what's fascinating is that like how sacred it is. there's a sacred library where cartoonists basically go, and this is a place they go to do a pilgrimage and they create something. And the only copy of this book that they've created lives in this library, um, and this library is like stocked with like every comic ever made, like old school action comics, you know. That's awesome. So it's a great book, but what I loved about it, it was this just a place for cartoonists and folks who are with comics or like, they make the pilgrimage, they go to Hicksville, they know about it, and it's sacred, right? And so that, to me, is what our island is for chefs. It's this place where if you are a chef worth your salt in the world, you have been to Earth's oven at some point and you have tried everything. You've tried the food, you've tried to cook new food, you've tried to experiment, you fail, you succeed this is the place to go and and you know whether you're like a master chef or whether you are you know somebody new to a kitchen you go here because you love to cook and you love and that is kind of the vibe i wanted to get out of it and i also wanted to give the sense that it's also a little touristy there are people there um who know that like some you know it's hey, look it's an island we all want to kind of go hang out on an island what have you when I go on, you know, to a resort, I'm going to sit out in, in the sun and, and eat and drink, right? And <laughs> kind of the best place in the world to do it. So it's kind of got both, um, but again, very austere, right? Very much like if you're coming here, you know the rules, stick to them. Yeah. yeah. It was funny that the, there was a lot of attention to detail. I know JJ was pointing this out to me earlier, you know, how you had fun with like the names of like, you know, everyone sounds like a food, like it's like yeah. you got coriander. And, but even like your attention to detail with like, you know, plating, like, you know, you were, I, I, me and my wife, we watch all these cooking shows and like someone could lose on the plating and like, you basically <laughs> have a mission where you have to be good at plating to get past like this ball. I think that was like the first part yeah. like that. Um, but I was like, that was, that, I thought that was really clever. It was, it was yeah, fun. Yeah, and that's a lot of the just influences. Look, I watch a lot of food network. I will watch Top Chef, right? And like some of that stuff. And, you know, I was telling John, like I, I sit here with a notebook and as I'm watching TV, I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll put that down. <laughs> right? um, 
there was there's like a point in the book where Corey and Saber are walking, you know, the, the two main characters, and it's like a two page sequence where Corey, um, the other warrior, is just talking about food, right? She's just talking about things that she's seen and things that she's eaten. And a lot of that stuff is literally stuff that I've just seen on television. And I'm like, oh, what she eat? That sounds interesting. I'm going to put that. Um, and then some of it is stuff that, like, I've experienced. She talks about um, what, you know, one of the great bits in there is uh, actually two. One is she talks about chalant, which is like a Jewish Yiddish stew. And, like, I make that, like, twice a month, right? And I've actually won a cooking contest with my chalant, right? So, <laughs> So, like, to me, that was important to get in there. And I wanted to make sure that it was there because it inspires me. And I wanted other people to be like, what the fuck is Chalent? Like, I'm going to go, you know. <laughs> that you was know? basically me throughout this entire book. <laughs> I, had, I had a reference. I had to Google so much so stuff. Much, right? <laughs> so much, so much, so many terms, so much of the food. Um, I love to eat. You throw food in front of me. But I just didn't, I don't, I'm not a, much of a chef or a cook at all. So. There was like plating and 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 I'm, he's he, he writes plating in the script, so I'm like, okay, I have to. What the hell is that? So I'm, <laughs> I'm googling, I'm googling like all this stuff, but I, but it's a learning experience. The cartoonists, we have to we have to fake yeah. it so much. <laughs> and here's what I, here's what I love about artists. Not once did he email me and say, "What is plating?" <laughs> he was my friend. That's not, it. Not I once did I get a call from John and is like, "What's this word here that you're talking about?" And I'm like, "I can easily send you 15 videos or whatever." Yeah. Nope. <laughs> I, I love. I loved it. I, you know, I got to. I got to the one panel where they made um, spam mushubi, and I made spam and rice today because I was. I was like, I wanted it last night. I was like, you know what? I have spam in my closet. I'm gonna cook it with some rice, and that's what I had for lunch today. Nice. Yeah. That, yeah, was, that, that was something that, I had a reference. Yeah, but that's like a very like island food. It is very Polynesian thing to eat. I, I'm former military. I was in the Navy. I've been to, you know, so many countries in the South, you know, Southeast Asia. We used to, I mean, that's what we ate, especially like the Philippines and Hawaii. I mean, that's what they eat out there. Yeah, for sure. And I love it, you know, but yeah, it's very funny. No, but, but again, you know, like I say, like, it's a lot of just like, yeah. And there's a lot of Polynesian, like Pacific Island references in there. And again, Carl was fantastic with that. Um, but there's, again, a lot of, even that sequence, one of the things that I want to say, you, you, know, you talk about Moana, you talk about video games, like there's like a panel where they basically are talking about the plot of Ratatouille. <laughs> yes. Like one of my, one of my favorite movies, yeah. right? And by the way, Patton Oswalt, if you are out there, I will send you a copy of the book. Love the movie. Um, so, so yeah, so like it's definitely, you know, when you look at the sort of the breadth and width of what food is to a lot of different people, that is what I wanted this we wanted this book to be and you know if john and i are lucky enough to do more you know the second book the third book will have even more references things that are inspiring us now things that are you know that are out there so uh, there's definitely more stories that you know i like how it you know left it very open-ended so yeah. we can definitely there's room to find out about a lot more people um, so I, I know you said you kind of gave John like his choice of, you know, what you wanted him to work on. So was, did you have any like reservations before you gave this to John or anything like that? Cause the thing I love about John is he has a very like golden age style. Yeah. And, you know, we spoke about this a lot and I was like, I, I think it works really well with your story and were, were you like, did, did you know his work? Did you feel yeah. like the jive right away or? Yeah, but the thing I hate about John, it, no. <laughs> I was like, let's talk about him. He's off here to the yeah. this way. Oh, <laughs> <I forgot laughs> <he was here. laughs> um, no, you know, honestly, 
whenever you start working or as a writer, when you start a collaboration, a co-authorship with, with an artist, you never really know what somebody's going to love, right? Especially because I come from comics from one way and John comes from comics from another way. And I don't know what, you know, at the time when we had just met, I wasn't sure what his influences were and he probably wasn't sure, you know, what kind of writer I was other than reading some of the stuff that I had done. And so we really met, um, let's, you know, here's the dating story. John and I met because we both did a short story for Where We Live, which is um, the Image Comics anthology for the Las Vegas, to benefit the Las Vegas shooting. And John and I didn't know each other, but we both did separate stories on the book. And I had been looking for somebody to do some stuff with. And we both know Mike Oming. Um, John knows Mike from way back. And Mike and I actually did an X-Men story. So we've known each other for years too. And I reached out to Mike and I'm like, do you know anybody right now who's kind of available? And he said, hey, you know, I know you're going to this where we live signing. You should sit down and talk to John. Um, he's really great. You guys, you guys did along really well. And so I, I think we did. We spent most of that signing just, we were sitting next to each other at the signing, which was, I yeah, think. Yeah, it, um, it was love at first sight. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and it, we really kind of spent the night talking and I basically said to him, like, I'll just send you some shit. Yeah. And I really looked, and I don't even remember what I sent you, but it was like four or five springboards or short pitches from different genres. You know, there was Saber, there probably was like some dramatic techno crap that I had written up that nobody wants to buy. I don't even, I don't even remember either anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so long ago. It takes so long to put these books out. Exactly. And it's a long road. It basically was like, look, here are four very different things yeah. um, that I think your style could fit. Pick one. And yeah. Saber was just. Was the one? Yeah, the smart the smart way to go is to is obviously, you know, try and gear, kind of take a look at the artist's style and art, like you were saying, and DC, and um, you know, gear whatever stories you might have towards that style because you know we we know and I understand that my style is not going to work with any type of story. You know, it it, it could to a degree, but. You know, it's gonna it's gonna benefit. It's gonna have its strengths in certain genres and certain stuff. So this sure. this popped off the page for me. And I remember um I remember even uh, Mike Oming asked me after the fact after I you know after Neil and I spoke and I told Neil I was like yeah I want to do Saber. I was like this looks awesome. Um, Mike had emailed me or called me up and said um, which one did you pick? <laughs> and I said I picked uh, Saber. And he was like that's the one I would have picked. He goes that, <laughs> that that one jumped off the page for me too because Mike and I have like you know similarities in our tastes and style. So. Um, yeah, it was cool. I was like, oh, the oh. art is fantastic. Yeah, damn it, I could have okay. had me on the book. <laughs> you could have got Mike. You could have got Mike Oming, and you blew it. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, John. I actually remember you working on this like two, like CradleCon, like two CradleCons ago. Yeah, it takes it takes so That's a long. long time. Wow. You know, um, I saw somebody post recently. They said, um, without without saying, I think it was Chris. Sheehan, um, who does work for Vault and stuff like that. I think he, he might have been him that posted it, but he said, without saying that you're a comic book artist, tell me, post something that says you're a comic book artist. And somebody posted and said, I'm so excited to finally see, you know, something I worked on two years ago come out. <laughs> you know, like it was, it was, it was perfect. It was like the perfect example of you work on things and it takes so long to, to get it done and then finally to come out. Yeah. That you've almost 
you moved on to two or three projects and it's like, oh yes, this is, this is finally coming out. Like, yeah. Oh, I remember I did that. <laughs> you guys must be so happy it's out though. Oh yeah. yeah well, we, yeah, we had a, it was a, it was a rough year. I mean, we, the book was supposed to be out in August. Um, we were actually, or I was actually going to San Diego to promote it a little bit. And obviously, obviously didn't go. That, that didn't happen. <laughs> Why did you go? What the hell? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not, not beautiful this time of year. Um, <laughs> so, um, so we, you know, we thought the book was going to come out in August, and then even before San Diego got moved, the book was pushed because um, Diamond shut down, right? So, John and we, I mean, we've been working on this book at this point for like a little year, over a year, half, year and three yeah. quarters. And we get the, and John, I think you were done with, with, with I, your, you were finished. I, right before that pencils down call that went across the industry, I think I put that last page in like the day before. It was literally the day before. I think we had, we had all emailed John like this, like round of congratulatory emails, like myself, John, and Frank, our colorist, and the editor, right, Brett. We all were like, you know, like series rap, John Broglia, right? And then, the next email we got was like, hey, we should stop working on the book. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen that scene in, in Ace Ventura when he's he's crying, you know, he's hugging <laughs> the bathroom floor? That was pretty much me <laughs> and Neil. Put the book in the garbage with the fire burning. And, but it was also like really interesting because it was not like, uh, hey, we're going to put the book on hold for two months and then, you know, see. It was literally just like, right. stop working. Like yeah, you guys just, yeah. just hang out, stop working on That's the book. That's great to hear, isn't it? Yeah, and, <laughs> I don't know what's gonna happen. And, and, and we're both sending these like passive aggressive, like, so stop working for like a week or, <laughs> or forever. Tell us what's kind of happening. And there was just this like, we'll let you know. And we're just shooting each other these emails, like, what the fuck, you know? And and Frank, Frank, to his credit, was like, I'm gonna finish. Like, I'm, I'm gonna keep working. I'm just gonna finish the book. And I'm like, yeah, thank God he did that. Yeah, thank God, God he, kept moving, he kept moving. And yeah. I'm, I lettered it, so I'm like, all right, you know, like at least we'll have the book done. And I, I think we had like two or three back. Like, what are we gonna do in the case that they drop the book? Emails, right? Like, what should we kickstart it? Would somebody else buy this? Um, and I think John, to his internal optimism, was like, "Well, the book is done, so somebody's going to just take us off." I'm like, yeah, that's how comics work. Someone will just take us off. <laughs> I try. <laughs> I try to be be a little hopeful. You have to be. You have to. You have to. There's got to be some some kind of naive uh, someone who's optimistic <laughs> mindset. You know, some some naivete because uh, this this industry could very easily, as much as we all love it, and I, I, it's my heart and soul is making comics, and I love it more than anything. I can possibly ever see myself not participating in a comic somehow and um, or creating somehow. Um, but it can, like Jack Kirby has said, and then, you know, many have said before, it could destroy you. Um, like I, I met, I met Will Eisner, um, who's one of my heroes as well. I met him a year before he passed at um, San Diego Comic-Con. I actually sat down outside of the Eisners. I saw him sitting with his wife by himself and I sat down with him and um, I chatted with him. I was like, I, I couldn't even believe this was happening. You know, it's like, you know, and um, I remember saying to him that he's like a, a big influence as to why I make comics. And he said, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he literally said, sorry to hear that. He's <laughs> 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 just understanding <laughs> that it's- so my, my favorite, so I know there's the whole Jack Kirby comics will break your heart. My, my yeah. 
favorite uh, comparison is, and I've used this a couple times, is comics is like your little brother that keeps throwing that football at your, at your groin. And you're, <laughs> like, you're like, you know, I love that kid, but fuck, stop throwing the football. <laughs> Next year, I'll catch it. Yeah, it's true though. But um, um but yeah, it's worth it. It's all worth it. Yeah, it was worth it. Look, in the end, you know, we sat on our heels for less than a month, maybe. Not, it wasn't too long. And no, then, it was, I think it was only like a couple of weeks. I think they they the turnaround was pretty quick from them. Dark Horse was great. They were yeah, really were great. They were kind of, and Dark Horse has been great. Like yeah, you know, they've yeah. been communicative. They've been helpful. They've helped promote the book. The production team has been top notch. And like, I have no complaints about Dark Horse. I think it was just we were all kind of like. As an well, industry, trying yeah. to figure out like what's the whole world was kind of like that, and yeah, the yeah. whole world was going through it in some way or another. So for us, this was our taste of it in our industry, and we were freaking out. <laughs> we were, we were freaking out. We were, we were, but you know, we got back on track. They rescheduled yeah. it, you know, and it's here. That's great. And, and I, I know we don't have Frank here, but I mean, he's I get knocked out of the park with the coloring on this book. Oh my god! Like. It's amazing the coloring. The it jumps out at you so much. It just comes right. It's 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 beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah, Frank. No, Frank's fantastic. Frank and I worked together on a book um, for uh, Comicsology slash Monkey Brain when they were around, called Kings and Canvas. Where it was an ongoing series until it stopped being an ongoing series. Um, and it was a book about um, it's like Game of Thrones meets Rocky. It's kind of a cool like boxing medieval kind of thing. And Jake, who did Brownsville, actually drew it. Uh, Jake Allen drew it, and Frank colored it. And it's, I mean, the pages were just, they popped at you. They were really, really, there was so much depth behind the work Frank did to it. And when, you know, I partnered with John, and we were like, who's going who's gonna to color this thing? I, I really yeah, Neil, yeah. Yeah. Neil, Neil brought him in. And um, I'm extremely, I've been, I have been burned in the past by by colors. Like I, colors don't get enough credit. They don't. They don't get enough credit. Um, they can literally make or break the art in a book. Mm -hmm. I don't care how well you draw. If the colorist comes in and he doesn't do so fantastic of a job, um, he could destroy the art. Um, and also on the other end, you could be a mediocre artist, and the colorist can come in and they they are their art is phenomenal on their end and. They get savable. They get absolutely savable. So I'm always very picky now, you know, after years of experience, I'm very picky about who comes in. So whenever I'm introduced to a colorist, I'm like, I'm like standoffish until I see, you know, <laughs> a few things. And um, and you know, Frank, Frank really did. He he, he came through on this book. He, he really did such an excellent job. He made me look good. If you could make me look good. And so Frank's the number one in my book. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's it's just I'm I'm very happy with this book. It was I want more. So yeah. there's also a, ho a holiday. Well, right? What, what was that? There's also a holiday special as yeah. well, right? Yeah. So that was basically me sitting around saying I want to write more saver and trying to figure out ways to promote this and figuring out like the best way to promote a comic book is by giving somebody a free comic book. Um, or free comic and we obviously couldn't print anything and you know get it out of time but as for the holidays were coming up uh, I think it was like a month before um, and uh, like I said I'm a Star Wars guy and they were talking about like as they do every year the Star Wars holiday special 
We yeah. just did a, we did a review of it. Last. Watch that for the first time. <laughs> I mean, it ain't great, but it's you gotta love it, right? And um, kind of rolling around, and, and also uh, Disney Plus put out the the Lego version, which I really yeah, that wasn't bad. Yeah, that was cool. great, yeah. which was great, and. So I just kind of sat there and I'm like, why can't we do a holiday special? Like, and I think the, the best thing that I love about it is that we did a holiday special for a book that hadn't come out yet, right? <laughs> it's like it's like doing a Batman holiday special before Detective Comics twenty, you know, before the before the the issue comes out, right? I mean, it was it worked though. It was, it was pretty clever. Yeah, thanks. And and oh, what? I said I think it's for me. It set the tone to the book because I read that before the book. So yeah, you know, going into this, like I didn't know what the book was. You know, what you know, Savior was going to be about. But reading that, and then you know, seeing the snow was actually mashed potatoes. You're like, what? <laughs> and it, you know, reading the novel, then the graphic novel, it just it it put it just married the two perfectly. So there were literally, I gotta say, ten to twelve emails that went back and forth between John, Frank, and myself about those damn mashed potatoes. <laughs> is it very, too, very serious conversations. Is about it mashed too white mashed potatoes? Does it look like mashed potatoes? Are is it lumpy enough? Is the texture correct? <laughs> do we want whipped? Do we want lump? Do we, what do we want? Should there be chives? <laughs> What's the consistency? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was fun. And we look, we were going to do it as the standalone thing. And when, we, when, we, when I wrote it originally, it, that's what it was. It was just this fun three page and at the end it was gonna either be like the cast, you know, going happy holidays or, you know, a recipe, which we did. And I think as I was writing it and I, I don't know, John, if it was your idea or my idea, it just became like, well, why, this should be set like before page one. That was, that, was, that was all you, Neil. Um, oh, and right. I like that, I like that you did that. Um, yeah. and that, was, that was like one of my favorite parts of it. Um, right. that it led directly into that opening page of, of the graphic novel, I thought that was that was awesome. Yeah, no, and, and it was fun. It was, you know, we basically, we emailed Dark Horse and we're like, we've got this kind of stupid idea to do a holiday special for a book that hasn't come out yet. Uh, <laughs> what do you think? And their first reaction was, do we need to do anything? And we're like, no, no, no. Tell us, we'll handle everything. And they were like, really I'm great then. <laughs> yeah, they were like, go yeah. right ahead. <laughs> and I mean, to the, they actually were super helpful. They they got us an exclusive yeah. with Screen Rant. You know, the, they put out the the comic for us, and they announced it there, and then they hosted it on the site, and people seem to like it, so we're happy. Yeah, it was funny, Neil. I was actually um, I don't even think I told you this, but right before you came to me and said, "Let's do this. Let's do a holiday special," I was actually going to email you about drawing just to draw one. I didn't I didn't want I didn't know how far we wanted to go. Um, but just drawing a holiday card. Right. I had done it last year with Zombie Summer. I just done kind of like a little digital card. Um, so I was like, oh, let's let's do that with all the Saber characters, where they're you know kind of just celebrating the holiday in one image. Thank God you beat me <laughs> to that because <laughs> it turned into this nice little story. That was, me, that John. Was... No, and and I mean that's kind of what it was. It really was like, look, I do also a holiday card every year, but it's usually like me and my family and what have you. But yeah, uh, it was hilarious. I love it. <laughs> But um, I wanted, you know, I, I figured this will be like our version of the holiday of a holiday card, but it's really a comic, and who doesn't want a free three page comic, right? Yeah. Whose recipe is that at the end? Like, was that your one of yours? That was one of yours. So it's 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 mine. It's based off recipes that I actually have seen that mashed potato croquette out there uh, in the wild, probably on Food Network. Oh, 
Um, <laughs> and I, I actually changed a little bit of it. I, I, I edited some of it so that it's, um, it's actually a family mashed potato recipe. So the re mashed the recipe for the potatoes itself is is my own, and then the croquette aspect of how to make the croquettes is somebody else's. So I kind of again matched ah, mashed potatoes. Um, yeah, mashed the mashed. Potatoes. I mashed the mashed potato recipe together. Yeah. Just to um, just to reiterate, every single recipe, none of it, none of it's me. <laughs> None of it's me. I have no recipes. They are all new. I didn't see Kraft mac and cheese in there. So. Yeah, no Kraft mac and cheese, which my kids appreciate. But that's so, the funny thing about the recipe that's actually in the book, which, again, is also – it's my burger recipe plus a, um, uh, a Lao Lao recipe that I had seen somewhere else, which is a Polynesian dish. Um, it's actually the two of them sort of married. But the funny thing is when I was actually reading the book last night – I realized that I had put, um, and I've actually never made it, by the way. I've never actually made it. Yes, <laughs> I have, but that one I haven't. Um, I realized that I have pork belly in it. And because I was posting about it on on my Facebook page and Twitter page, whenever I was posting an image of it, and I'm like, everybody knows, like, that knows me knows that I keep kosher. And I have a recipe in my book with pork belly in it. <laughs> which, is, which is interesting because I... I mean, I must have realized that when I wrote it, I was just like, fuck it, who cares, right? <laughs> um, but what's great about it is that we actually, here at the house, we do a lot of recipes that we see out in the world. Um, one of the big ones that I always say is that um, we do uh, a Jubano, which is like a Cuban sandwich, but it's kosher. Um, and it's basically, you know, if you make a Cuban sandwich, it's, what is it, ham and pork, right? Um, I obviously can't do either of those because I keep kosher. So we have to, my wife and I spent a long time trying to figure out like what would be the best substitute for both of those. And so I figured for this recipe, I can do the same, right? Yeah. yeah why not? I'm sure there's a, there's a substitute for anything. Yeah. So when is the cookbook coming out for this book? Like, are you going to have a cookbook for everything that was in the book so far? Well, let's get, see how <laughs> book one does. And then let's try to do book two. Uh, and then we'll see how we go from there. I'm not going to do a, a cookbook in, unless Dark Horse is like, you know, maybe we should do a cookbook. <laughs> I was about to, um, I was about to one up that. I was going to ask when Neil, when the food truck is coming out. When uh, are you, yeah, you opening up the food truck? Well, John, are you ready to paint it up all pretty with like? That's a it. I'll draw on it and eat from it. That's it. Paper <laughs> and like a wizard on the side of it with like a. There you go. That's hilarious. I haven't seen a comic book, uh, comic book cookbook, so there's, there's got to be some out there. I, there are. I mean, I know that there are some indie cookbooks out there. Like you see some of like the the indie alt um, scene. There have been people who have done like mini comics and, and zines that are like illustrated cookbooks. I've often said that there should be. You know, if you if look, I, if you're on social media or if you're talking to other com comic book creators, we all eat, we all drink, and. <laughs> You know, around the holidays, you'll see a lot of people like around Christmas time or around Easter, Passover, or what have you. You know, everybody's posting. They're like, I just made latkes, or I just yeah. made, you know, pano <laughs> or whatever. We all love to eat, you know, and some yeah. of us cook and some of us don't. And I've always felt like if you got enough of us together and had us each come up with a recipe and then got, you know, a bunch of like amazing artists to illustrate like an image for each page or something. That'd like be that, pretty cool. I think it'd be great. 
Yeah, John was doing the whole Feast of the Seven Fishes. I saw him. He posted each fish he did for uh, Christmas Eve. It was great. Yeah, no, it was great. Hey, I'm, I come from, we're, we're Italian, so. Yeah, me too. Us, it's amazing. Food brings everybody together. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and that goes for every culture on the planet. That's yeah, absolutely. That's thing that's great about food. And that's what. It's international well language. Book. Yeah, that's what works yeah. well with our book, um, is that no matter what everybody's differences are, and that's why I love one. Of, well, actually, one of my favorite shows was always um, Parts Unknown, Anthony Bourdain's show, um, and it showed you that no matter where he went in the world, when everybody sat down together at a table to eat, they were one people. Like it yeah. was like you could sit down at that table and just chat and converse and and over a good plate of food and a great drink and get along. And that food brings everybody together. It really does. Yep. Well true. said. By the way, the last person to have a food-based comic slash graphic novel at Dark Horse, Anthony Bourdain. Ah, yeah, yes, really sure. and I have it. I actually have it on my shelf. Oh, actually. that's awesome. Um, I'm a big fan. There you go. Oh, there you go. So what's get, up next for you two guys? Um, um, John's going <laughs> to sleep for a while. Um, <laughs> I haven't slept all week. So this is, I'm waiting. None of us. None of us slept all week. Um, so look, uh, in terms of Saber, we you know we definitely would like to do more. Um, there is a loose plot out there for the second book that I've kind of written. Um, basically, the way I like to think about it is that this is the first. This is like this book is like Saber: A New Hope, right? Um, it's you know my episode four, and then there's episodes five and six out there that <laughs> kind of based up. And then one day John and I can go back and do like episodes one through three yeah. and maybe down some, some more, but um, there are definitely, there's a whole world out there that we've just sort of seen the tip of the iceberg on and we'd love to do more. Um, it really kind of depends on, you know, people who read the book and people talk about the book and ask about the book and, you know, sales are well, you know, any, any comic book, sales have to sort of warrant it, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah. whether it's a Dark Horse, whether it's somewhere else, you know, John and I definitely, and Frank as well, you know, I don't want to leave Frank out. Um, we definitely are invested in this, this, this story and these characters, and we'd love to see more. Um, but other than that, we're, we're, we're cooking something else up. Ooh, well said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was definitely like there's so many characters, even the villains. Like I wanted to know like more about the villains and stuff yeah. like that. You know, there's there's so many there's so much potential with with each character. So we're definitely excited if there is more eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And then, yeah, and then John and I are playing around with something else, a different uh, different story. We'll see what happens with that one. We're written very yeah. Yeah. the bad. But again. Again, you know, a book that's really inspired by a lot of our influences right now and things that we're talking about and watching and reading. And, you know, at the birth of any comic book, right, it's all kind of a crapshoot, right? It's just yeah. us talking about shit and saying, like, oh, that's that would be cool. Like, this, yeah. would, totally, this would totally work. Yeah. Um, and then it really kind of comes down to, like, does it work? You know, <laughs> we'll find out. So that's fun. We'll see. All right. Well, so the the book's available now. Uh, you can uh, tr try and get it ordered at your local comic shop, or I think you can order from the website directly as well, right? Uh, yeah. So it's in comic shops now. You can get it via. I think Dark Horse is selling it through their through their through their um, through their website. But you can just go into your local store and ask them for it. They'll pre they'll they'll get you a copy. 
Um, it hits mass market on the 26th. So that is when it hits like major Amazon, Amazon Bookshop, uh, and also when it hits Comixology. Okay, so it is going to be available digitally as well, right? Yeah, Mac okay. and digital awesome. is on the 26th. Awesome. Great stuff. So how, how do people get into contact with you guys? Are you guys on social media, Facebook? Yeah. Where, 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 where do people go to find you? Um, so I'm on um, everything. Uh, Facebook is kind of the one place that I'm a little bit more locked down, but like Twitter and Instagram is, is totally fine. I'm on Twitter. Well, this week I've been on Twitter probably more than most. Um, <laughs> but um, that's kind of the best place to get, I think, both of us. Right, John? Yeah, yeah. For me, um, Instagram. Um, mostly on Instagram. Um, you can contact me through Facebook. Um, I'm always, you know, checking Facebook, Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I usually Twitter. I like to go on to um, just to get information on kind of and check in on what everybody else is doing. Like I like to. I don't do a lot of posting on Twitter. I do a lot of retweeting because I'm lazy and <laughs> you know, I, I see something really cool and I'm like, oh, retweet, retweet. Like Twitter's for the writers. Yeah, I want to see. Yeah, I want to see. John spent half his time on Twitter reposting Ben Affleck memes. So <laughs> <laughs> those donuts, we love those donuts, right? <laughs> Yeah, it keeps dropping them, right? All right, guys. Well, this has been awesome. We hope everybody goes out there, picks up a copy of Saver. Um, we've read it. You know, it definitely has our endorsement. And um, we look forward to hearing more stuff from you guys. So uh, thank you again, uh, Neil and John, for joining Don't Feed the Geeks. Thank you, guys. Thank Can't you wait guys. for part two. Yeah, thank you. Thanks and, we're just, and we just started following you. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, guys. All right, thanks. All right. Thanks. All right, thank you so much to John and Neil for joining us. That was awesome. That was a, that was a great interview. I mean, Neil, I, I like this guy, Neil. And, you know, I'm excited to get this book, hopefully Brownsville, uh, soon because I want to read it. It looked interesting when I read it, you know, read the little synopsis on it. Um, very excited. Yeah, those guys are so fun to talk to. John, yeah. John is always a character. <laughs> yeah, you guys don't even know this, but we talked for at least like 20 more minutes after that. Interview. Yeah, we did. <laughs> you know, that's how you know, you know, we really enjoy talking with the guys. Absolutely. So really hope that you guys go out there and pick up a copy of Saver. You know, even, even if you don't get it, you know, if you're a digital person, it's going to be available digitally on the 20. Was Did they say the 26 or the 22nd? 26, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. on Comixology, it'll be on there. I really love this book. I mean, I'm, yeah. you know, it's because it's outside of anything I usually read. I mean, it just, it was such a pleasure to read. And it's yeah, just, sometimes it's fun to read something like that. It, it really stuff. is, especially in, in these times. But awesome. And book. if you're, and if you're local to Long Island, I believe John Broglie assigned a bunch of copies at the comic book depot. If you want yep. to head over there. In Long Island. Yep. 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 Very cool. Awesome. All right. Shall All we right. move on to our review of Wonder Woman 1984, which I, did not watch for this. <laughs> You're a punk. Slacker. I am a punk right now. Call Slacker. yourself a comic. I was reading Saver instead. Uh, <laughs> excuses. So, guys, what did you guys think of the movie? JJ, why don't you start? Listen, listen. I mean, this movie has gotten a bad rap. I mean, a lot of, I'm going to say more than, there are more people who didn't like it, hated it, whatever it was. Me, you know, it was a fun movie. It was okay. You know, I'm not going to say it was a great movie. It wasn't one of the best DC movies because there really isn't too many best DC movies. You know, your boy compared, Aquaman holds that title, I think. Say again? <laughs> your boy Aquaman holds that title pretty high. Well, you know, 
the Aquaman movie was good. I liked the yeah. Aquaman movie. You know, was it the best one? I don't think it was the best one. You know, the first Wonder Woman is by far the best DC movie. No? And a steel is. I can't stand it. And, and I'm not even saying that. That's fine. Yeah. What'd you say? I can't stand Man of Steel, but we'll talk about that later. Really? Oh, well, you're wrong. <laughs> I, I, I liked Woman, the reason why I liked Wonder Woman the first one, because it was different. You know, we finally yeah. got a woman character. You know, it was, it was just, I liked the war. I liked the World War One. Wonder Woman, the, the original one was fantastic. After so, like that, after she crosses No Man's Land, it was all downhill. But Wonder Woman 84, listen, would I pay money to go see this in the theater? No. Really? Yeah, I would. I would have. I think I would have been more disappointed if I paid money to see this. In the but theater. watching it for free at home feels a little different. Well, you know, I don't see it for free. I'm still paying for, oh, yeah. for yeah, HBO yeah. Max. But being able to watch my own house, I mean, that's a bonus, and I love being able to do that. Would I pay? You know, would I? Would I rent it? You know, for ten dollars? Yeah, probably rent it for ten dollars for my whole family to see it. But going to a theater, going through all that trouble, I, I think I would have been disappointed. But it was an okay movie. I, I I enjoyed it. It was something different. It it changed the whole monotony of what's going on in the world. So how's the acting? You know, I'm a big Gal Gadot fan. I love Gal Gadot. She's just a beautiful woman. She's a beautiful, you know, um, Wonder Woman. I liked part of the story. Um, I think having two villains in this movie. So we had two villains. One was. Um, the cheetah chick played by um, Kristen Wiig. Yeah, Kristen Wiig. Mm -hmm. I'd love to have been more. I, and then the other one was uh, what's his Pedro name? Pedro Pascal. He was a villain. I think if I think if we didn't have him as a villain, it probably would have been a little bit better movie. Really? I think, we, I think so. I didn't like. I didn't. It, the movie didn't make sense. It didn't make yeah. sense with his villain. I mean, it was all based on wishes and everything else. Like it just. It was very hokey, and I've used this word a lot. It was hokey to me. It just it, a lot of things just didn't make sense. It just it it was a lot of drag parts. I mean, there could I think, and I, I'm I'm rambling here, but I think if it was 45 minutes shorter, it would have been a lot better too. I think a lot of parts dragged on, uh, but I liked I like Kristen Wiig. I mean, I think if it was just focused on her character, her villain, I think I would have liked it more. Uh, having the two villain mesh up. It, I, it ruins movies because you're you're trying to focus on something and you got two things going on. Yeah, I and I that. understand. And I understand that they're trying to create a backstory for her, but that wasn't really the real backstory anyway of, of that character in the no, comics. No, right. So, you know, it, it, a lot of hit and misses. Then bringing back Chris Pine and the way it was done, they should have cut that all out. They should have never brought him back. So was he a major character in this movie? He was yeah. a secondary major character. I would I would classify it as. But it wasn't really him. Like it was, it was a very weird invasion of body snatcher, you know. Yeah. I just, if the, they should have left him out, there was no need to bring him back. And I'm hearing that he may be brought back in the third one, which, again, <laughs> they should not do that. Leave him dead. I mean, I. It yeah. It was just to kind of add to what he said. It was just all really weird. So the worst part, <laughs> this is probably the like, the the worst part of Pedro Pascal's year <laughs> pretty much considering like how well he's done with Mandalorian. Um, it was just, the, the character was poorly developed. Uh, listen, Gal, did Gal Gadot do okay? Yeah. But it was just, 
she didn't really have much to work with. Listen, I like her. I don't love her. Like, she's not going to carry a movie on her own. I think she's good in an ensemble, like, given a couple of lines. I thought she was... I thought she was really good in Justice League. I think, you know, as a secondary character, she's doing really well. Um, even, it, like, most of her scenes with Chris Pine. I mean, Chris Pine's clearly the more seasoned actor. So he almost kind of, like, has to carry a lot of those scenes. And, like, he's taking on the acting chops. But, again, like how J.J. said, like, the whole way they bring him back is weird. Like, he's not really back. He's, like, he's in somebody else's body, but his, like, soul or whatever is there but diana sees you know chris pine even though it's not really chris pine um you know the the whole pedro pascal villain it's just poorly developed i don't know anything about the background of that character in comics i'm assuming it's a comic book villain but i didn't just, even look it up i should you know that, that i should have looked it yeah. up because i don't it just it was weird i mean i did like kristen wig i thought like the beginning of the movie again like i probably like the first quarter of the movie and then it just started getting really weird and like it just kind of got out of control and even like the action scenes they were just like there wasn't many there was not much really like blow my socks off kind of thing and it was you know people are always like you know they want to do all this you know I'm, i'm all for the diversity and stuff like that i totally think we should have more female um superheroes and stuff like that but you know, people are singing Patty Jenkins' praises, and I don't think it's deserved. I mean, listen, I was like, just because she's a woman, and she made this movie. I, I think the first one was much better. Um, did you she know, make I, the first one too? I believe so. Yeah, she did. Um, but I don't think I think she needs more help with this. I I think you should pick the best people for the job, regardless of who they are. And li- listen, like, it, does Patty have you know some say at this point? She absolutely should. But I think at this point, you may want to move on to somebody else who might have like a more experienced vision, or maybe like they can steer it in a more like coherent way. It was just I don't know. It's like it's a very like choppy movie for me. She's coming back for the third, unfortunately. Isn't she you the know, one doing the Rogue, Rogue Squadron movie? She is. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And listen, and it, it might not. It doesn't mean that she's not a good movie. She maker. made fantastic on the Rogue this Squadron. Is a bad movie, yeah. You know, and again, she did a great job with the first Wonder Woman. It's just this one. The story. I think the story was just horribly written. I mean. I mean, yeah. It couldn't. It might not be her issue. Maybe someone else wrote it. I, I really don't know. But, but you know. You know, some of the same, I mean, like like TC said, the, the beginning of it was fantastic. I love the shots of Themyscira. I love those scenes with training. You know, they're doing all this. I mean, that, those are I like those scenes. Yeah. But then you're, you know, when you're back in the real world, you know, now you're in 1884, and you know, 1984. It just, it just, it was so weird. You know, they're they're trying to push all this, you know, 80s stuff, and which was cool. But then it's just like it falls like. You know, it it's like it at some point it doesn't make sense like why they're doing it. And like, then, and, and unfortunately, like some of the shots, you know, being a geek and being, you know, I grew up in that era, you know, you you know, especially like that arcade scene. Yeah. You know, one of those arcades came out in 1987. <laughs> you know, this yeah. was supposed to be 19. So I mean I picked up a few things like what? Wait, wait a minute. Yeah. It's just you know, but besides that, it you know it, I just wish they focused on one villain and went that direction. I find that's often a problem with multiple villains. And I think the problem was too is that it's hard to like have like Cheetah carry a whole movie also though. 
like Sheeta is like you have to really get into like the story and then the friendship and then like it's it's hard to like sell that like that would be great as like a TV show episode to try and sell to try and sell a movie where it's just Cheetah and there's really nothing else. I mean, they should have tried to go with they should have tried to have done something bigger than this guy. It was just maybe his powers of granting wishes was just a, I mean that's weird. It, I mean it was yeah, it was so weird and I don't know. It was just not not a fan. It's definitely in the bottom category. I wouldn't say it's the worst movie. I think third worst maybe. I don't know. And, and then you get into her pattern. So now she can make things invisible. Like she made me hurt the jet go invisible. Like I didn't know that she had that power. Is that a new power? Because yeah. I don't know. I think I remember, some made up. <laughs> you know, it just there was a lot of there was a lot of things in it that was just I sat there going, what? You know, yeah. and my wife loved it. And you know, listen, I thought it was okay. Steph stayed up through the whole thing, which I was surprised about. I mean, there was a lot of like, I think there was supposed to be like a lot of like emotional ties and she was supposed to have her closure with him. And it's just, it, I think there was a lot of mixed messages where they were trying to do a lot of things at once. And that's just the story with DC movies as usual. They're trying to, to, to check 20 boxes that, you know, Marvel will take three movies to do. And it's just more evidence of why they're poorly, they're poor at making these superhero movies. It has nothing to do with people being, you know, tired of the genre. It's that you're trying to, you know, jump 20 ste steps ahead before you, you know, you, you do one solid box of, you know, work. And it's just, it's frustrating really. You know, the, the, the other thing that I thought about, too, is, you know, at the end of this, you know, the wish granted guy loses all his powers and everything tries to go back to normal. But, you know, I always try to think about, you know, when you're making a movie like this, what are the repercussions for the future? And, you know, we've already had a bunch of, you know, movies already like Bruce Wayne. Like, where was Bruce Wayne during this? You know, where was Clark during this? And they were I just, you know, this is what things that I was thinking about watching this. Like, you know, if, what was Bruce, you know, what was his wish? Was his wish to get his parents back? Like, what what were the repercussions? I think they're supposed to have been, like, born in, like, 1980, right? So they might have been not have been dead yet. I don't know. But, yeah, this that's what I was thinking. So what do you think on Agreed? Ooh, um, I'm going to give that a 3-0. Oh, wow. Um, I actually thought it was probably like a five. Like, I think it was, it, it wasn't the worst thing I've seen, but again, like it was just, it was really messy. Messy. So, I mean, I think there was, again, like some of the other movies, there was some cool parts of it and some decent acting. So I'll, I'll give some of it a five. So yeah, that's fair. Not highly recommended though. Yeah. Not at all. Another DC flop in my opinion. It's one of those movies I wouldn't watch again, and that's 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 tough. Yeah, because I like Honestly, watching movies over and over again. There's, I think there's really only three DC movies that I've had any interest in watching multiple times. It's Man of Steel. Um, it's uh, Wonder, the first Wonder Woman I've seen a few times, and uh, Aquaman, and that's really it. Yeah. I, mean, I like I, again, like I don't hate Justice League. I it's probably like the fourth on the list for me. But I mean, again, that's not saying it's mostly because the competition is so awful. I, you know, I, I, I told you guys this, but 
I was rewatching uh, some of the MCU movies. I think I made it through phase two and I was just like, it again, after just seeing um, Wonder Woman as if it's the, the, even the worst MCU movies are still probably top three for like a DC movie, which is just embarrassing. The Toy oh, Story. We lost Toy Story. Great. Where'd you go, Toy Story? Um, yeah. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully he comes back. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, I lost my train of thought when he left. But you know, right. but going back to that, so I mean, you know, those MCUs, they, they've got Disney money. So, you know, they can throw a bunch of money into it. You know, and I, and I was thinking about that too. Was like, is that just what it is? But they, they take the time to not only build the character, but build the story too. They're not trying to get to the Avengers in Iron Man 1. You know, they're, they're setting it up. They're not throwing Thor, Captain America, and the Hulk in Iron Man 1. Like, that's right. what, you know, that's what these guys are trying to do. You know, Batman versus Superman. Oh, by the way, it's, you know, Aquaman. It's it's the Flash. It's Wonder Woman. You know, it's like, oh, Doomsday's in this too, and Lex Luthor. I'm just like, act like you're going to make more than one movie after this. Right, just, right. What know, did you... What did you think of the uh, the the CGI of uh, Cheetah? I mean, it was at the end. Messy. It, looked pretty, it looked pretty bad. Yeah, I I would have preferred if they didn't even go that route. If maybe they teased it for like another movie, if they would have just had her in like human form, I think is I think that worked better. But listen, it is what it is. You know, I don't think we're gonna get uh, Toy, Toy Story back. Yeah, Toy he, Story hated it so much he didn't even want to finish doing the podcast mm, with yep. us. He's gone. He said, "Screw this." It is what it is. All right. All right. So um, that's it. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't have like a year in review episode. We had some uh, we had some stuff going on. A lot of a lot of things have been going on. You know, we we did, we haven't gotten to our book club review of um, Ready Player Two either. Um, maybe we'll get to that. We don't know. Yeah, we will. Um, yeah. So you know, as always, you can uh, reach us on Don't Feed the Geeks podcast on Instagram. And uh, at Li Comic Guys on uh, Instagram as well. You know we're also on Facebook, and um, you know hit us up if you please. Make sure you're you know subscribing. You're hitting those like buttons. Uh, give us a review if you're looking uh, on the podcast, and um, you know give us some feedback. Let us know what you guys want to hear about. You know right now we're just doing whatever we want to do. So if you want to see something different? Let us know. Otherwise, we're going to keep doing what we're doing, and uh, we appreciate all of you guys who are tuning in, all you loyal geek freaks out there. Oh, gosh, this guy. He's back. Um, yeah, but that's it. So until next time, remember. Don't be the geeks.